Um, even just before I came in this morning, um, I was setting up the iPad and I s ran over to Steve and I was like, I've only got 30%. Well, it's not going to work. He said it cuts off whenever it gets to 28. <laughs> so has made me charge it just to be sure. Torture nonstop. Um, <laughs> it's not like I was stressing off this morning, cheers. Um, but one of the things that God has been challenging me about, um, and it's just a small, simple thought um, that I want to share with you this morning, and um, I won't take long. Um, and it was just to make small changes. And what he's been speaking to me about in particular this year was, he said, Julie, I want you to be more open and I want you to invest in people more, which seems like a pretty mammoth task. And I'm like, well, that's great. Thanks very much. How do I climb this Mount Everest that you've set in front of me? What is it I have to do? And just what he's been speaking to me um, throughout the past few weeks, he said, that starts by making the small changes it makes it starts by making those small decisions um, that you're going to do and for example if I'm wanting to go to the gym Julie don't be sitting down the sofa make a cup of tea you go in and you get your gym clothes on you know because then if I sit in the sofa that's me out for the night <laughs> but um, so one of the things you said is about making those small changes to make um, the bigger difference and um, I work as a counsellor and in a lot of the therapy that we would do, I would work with people who maybe su suffer from depression or suffer from anxiety. Um, and we use this illustration here about the cogs in the wheel. Because sometimes um, if you suffer from depression or anxiety, it just feels like everything stops. You can't function, you can't do anything and your whole life just stands still. But yet all it takes is one of those wee small cogs, all it takes is one of those wee small decisions, one of those small choices to start moving so that the whole picture then begins to move and everything else then falls into place and comes into motion. I've been reading a book um, called The Tipping Point um, by Malcolm Kearns, and it's fantastic. And it, he just illustrates about how if we want communities and societies to change on a bigger level, that it starts in the smaller things that we do. And he used the example how in New York City in the 1990s, how the, the crime rate was the highest anywhere in, within the US. And New York was seen as this really dangerous, um, not, a safe place to, not a safe place to be. And the, um, the police officer there, Fitzsimmons, was challenged with the job of reduce it. Reduce the crime rate down so that New York will be seen as a safe place to go. Pretty challenging, daunting task whenever you were looking at things like um, homicides, um, first degree murders, prostitutions, vandalism, um, crime, petty theft, everything was happening and his task was to reduce it. And what he decided to do to implement this change on a bigger scale was to use what's called the broken window theory. And the broken window theory is simply this. There was a community hall that was always targeted by youths and they just broke the window. And what they, he said, the police officers, he said, I don't want you aiming for the, for the big cities at three o'clock in the, the morning when all the crime seems to be happening. He says, I want you to go in and I want you to fix the windows. And what happened was whenever the small changes begin to take place, whenever those small decisions happen, it actually had a ripple effect into the other crime rate. So the violent crime dropped by 57%, property crime dropped by 65%, and there was a 70% increase in the misdemeanor of, of arrests because small disorders then led to larger crimes. So in order to tackle that, the small changes in the grassroots had a ripple effect to other things. So the small forces behind those big changes were those decisions that were made. So God began to challenge me about what small changes I need to make in my life. And it happened as I was driving home and um, 
I was driving home from work, so I was reflecting on everything that happened throughout the day, what it is I need to do tomorrow, where I was going that evening, all the different things, all my lists in my head that I had to do. And I saw a man um, at the side of the road just coming along um, the bottom of the Crumlin Road, and he was elderly, and he was not in a good state, and he looked drunk, and he was by himself, and he was walking, and he was wobbling. And I had a con conscious conversation in my head of, what do I do? Because I need to, I had to go, I was getting a new car and I needed to be at the garage by half past five, I need to pick this car up. And, um, and I didn't know what to do and I thought, here's someone in need, what is it I'm going to do here? Am I going to begin to make those small changes? And I drove on, I'm a horrible person, <laughs> but that stuck with me and I thought, no, no more am I going to let um, the demands of life or anything like that there stop me from meeting the need that's right in front of me and making those small changes. Be interruptible. You see, life can put demands on us, require us to produce things and work, require us to make lists, which we love to tick. Well, me personally love to tick lists. Um, we have a culture that loves to be busy. I have a friend that whenever I phone her, the first thing she does, the 10 minute phone call conversation is how busy she is because she loves that. It makes her feel good. Um, I love it too. We need performance. There's things in our life that demand of our time. Every slot in our diary has to be filled that week. And if it's not, and there's an empty slot, we feel guilty. There's something about us, but what, what do we do with that empty slot? The demands of life are there. But it's not in the being busy. Being busy is okay in itself, but it's the how we're busy. It's how we act, how we walk, what we do with that pressure, and how we are whenever we're busy. The best example of this was in Luke 8, 40 to 48. When Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying. As Jesus went on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone has touched me, and I know that the power has gone from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling, fell at his feet. And in the presence of all those people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Here being the perfect example of how Jesus tasked to go and visit Darius' daughter, a literal life and death situation, yet was interrupted. And with that interruption, responded with love, with grace and encouragement. And the faith, um, the word faith here in the Greek actually translated means to make connection, to make friends and to win favor. And because of this interruption, she was able to connect with Jesus. She was able to find favor. The story of the miracle happens in the interruption. And it's about allowing our lives to be open. Yes, we may be busy. Yes, there's things that we have to do. There's things that demand of our time. But it's in that moment, like when I was driving past that man, whose agenda am I running on? Am I running on my own agenda when I have to do X, Y, X, Y, and Z? Or am I running on the Lord's agenda? Am I running, am I about his favor? Am I about his will in my life? The Good Samaritan, 
in Luke 10, verses 25 to 37, again explains, Jesus uses this parable as a way to epitomize how he is to love the Lord and how you have to love other people. By what? By being interrupted. Because they were going from Jerusalem to Jericho whenever they, they saw the man and they responded with kindness and they responded with grace. And that small change can have a huge impact. Whenever I was in, um, I spent a year in Australia and I had the privilege of working in a, a conference there which held um, about 30,000 people. And it was a five day conference and the, the girl who I worked with um, was the coordinator of it all. So all responsibility lay on her shoulders and we ran around with the earpieces in thinking we were great. Um, but that's where all the people were telling us what needed to be done, what the problems were, who we needed to see, what was going on. And I remember her words of advice were to me. I just used to soak up all her wisdom on, on what, it, what it was she'd done because she'd done it so well. And her piece of wisdom and advice to me about running a conference that way was to walk slow and to be prepared to engage. So no matter what's going on in your ear, no matter what demands are looking for you, no matter what task it is you have to do, when you're walking through a crowd, you walk slowly and you prepare to engage with everybody else who is around you. So I watched her was in her ear. There were people demanding needed the back door to be open. This has just happened. Disaster here, left, right and centre. As she walked slowly through the crowd and was ready to stop and instruct someone to where the toilet was, to find out was somebody okay, to, to help someone pick up um, something that had broken down. Walk slowly and be prepared to engage. Because whenever we stuff our life with our own agenda, we have no room for the unexpected. And it's in that interruption and it's in that unexpected, whenever we open our lives up to that, that's whenever Jesus comes in and that's whenever the miracle begins to happen. And it's allowing ourselves to be connected to those people. One of the things that God was challenging me about was not to be that robot that just goes from A to Z and doesn't concentrate on the story in the middle, but lets the story unfold and lives in life in a way that is open and that invests in people. That those small decisions and those small changes um, that I can make can in actual fact have a huge and have a bigger impact. My dad's brilliant at it. He, um, my dad's brilliant at it. We were in America there and, and we'd done the Disneyland thing over July. And it was during that time I love schedules and I love planning. And so the night before would have had it planned where we were going to go. We were going to go to Splash Mountain at 2 o'clock. We were going to go to Space Mountain at 3 o'clock. And I had it all set up. This is where we were going to do. July, Disney time, very busy time. So I had everybody round up and was following me. We're going here, we're going here, and we're not stopping for anywhere in particular because this is what we had to do. We had so much to see. We had so much pressure. I wasn't talking to anybody. I didn't care if Americans loved Ireland. That was brilliant. I wanted to get on to Splash Mountain. Um, and so I just was like a, a whippet and just gun for everything and didn't speak to anybody um, at all, but just had this plan, had the schedule set up. My dad drove me mental for it for the first few days because he used to just dander behind, just soaking everything in, chatting to everybody, connecting and talking. And it took the first few days before me to realize that actually he was the one that wasn't getting the most out of the experience there because he was able to be open, he was able to connect. If there was a pram that was... was Offside, I saw him one time help a girl while I'm stepping over it to get in front of the queue. I really am a terrible person. <laughs> Just realize how I sound. Um, but he, he was able to be open to make those connections. Um, 
to make sure that he was interruptible to your plan and interruptible to your schedule. And I had to learn that from him in the, la in the, in the next few days to be able to enjoy that, to, to, to look around me and to be able to open, to make those connections with the people there. So the challenge for, for me and the challenge that I'm setting for you is to live a life that's interruptible. With your schedules aside, with the A, B, C, D that needs to be done, and yes, it, things do need to be done and it's okay to be busy, but it's in the how we're busy. It's how we walk with that pressure through life. And to be open to make room, to be interruptible, to make those connections, because it's in those places whenever God's, God's story can unfold and lives can be changed. I think that's me. <laughs> so 